This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the bonus material episode of basically just me on my own today. Um, I'm going to talk to you about, what am I going to talk to you about? So I'm in the small studio today, which is always, um, there's fluorescent lights and I don't like them and they kind of flicker a bit, which is really distracting. So we turn them off and we turn on these two little lamps. So it's like just me in this small room that's where I'm surrounded by curtains and there's a computer in front of me and a microphone and then this big mad clock that looks like something from a basketball match that says the time. And it's very cosy and uh, yeah, very ambient. Actually, it's it's uh, I, the first podcast I did in here was um, with PJ and Suzanne. I was on Dublin. That was gas because they asked me if I listened to the podcast when I was in the show and I ha- I wasn't listening to it at the time but I lied and said yeah because I thought that was the appropriate thing and PJ just definitely caught me in a lie like but look we are where we are and we're still friends so we'll I'll be forgiven for that but do you ever just like say what you think is the appropriate thing to say even though it might not be the truth <laughs> and then hope that you don't get caught out about it speaking of saying the right thing that might not be the truth the census you fill up my census I love the census. I love a good census. Um, But what's really freaking me out, actually, is the number of people online who think that the government use the census to spy on them. Like, they have much easier ways of spying on you than getting you to fill out a 20-page application form. And also, like, people are complaining to me on Instagram that people are, that the government are spying on them. And I'm like, sorry, you use Instagram. Like Facebook have so much more information than the government will ever have about you. And you're scared about telling the government how many rooms you have in your house. Like it's it just boggles my mind. And so I try to be understanding and I try to think, okay, why are these people like what if these people knew the government, like the government aren't going to be able to put that into any sort of into any sort of a database that's going to keep track of anyone. What it is for, though, is planning. And it's really important that we are able to plan for the future. So like if there's a household with, you know, three adults and two children and they have four cars and two of the children have special needs and they identify as Roman Catholic, um, you know, all that information tells us like, okay, so there's three adults in that house, but they have four cars. So if that's a trend across the whole population, like we're going to need more infrastructure for roads, we're going to need more infrastructure for how many lanes there are and motorways. How do we reduce commuting? Like these people obviously don't have enough public transport in their area because they're using cars. So maybe we need to look at that. They have two children with special needs and they're Roman Catholic. OK, do we have Catholic schools in the area? How many Catholic schools are we going to need? If everyone says that they're not, that they don't have any religion, then they need to start making alternate like do we need does the catholic church get such a big role you know in the state if people aren't identifying as catholic anymore like it's really important for future planning to be like okay so you know imagine you're organizing a party and you don't know how many people are coming and you don't know what their food preferences are and you don't know their gender so you can't plan for bathrooms you can't plan for food you can't plan for seating you can't plan for you know like you need to know who's around so that you can make sure that you're providing the things that they need. So it just makes me really annoyed when there are people out there being like, don't fit in the census because they're going to take your bedrooms off you. Which is an absolute racket, like. But you can't, you see, also then can't fight online with people like that because they're just impervious to reason. 
like I remember during COVID as well, they're the same ones, the same people who are rolling out their like, what's his face from Microsoft is putting a microchip in you because of your vaccine and the government want us all to be sheep and they're trying to kill you with the vaccines. And it's like, sorry, if the government were trying to kill us with vaccines, why would they be killing us? The ones who are, you know, like doing what they tell us and the ones who are obedient and who obey the rules. Surely be to God, if they wanted to kill people, it'd be you guys that they wanted to kill. So by not taking the vaccine, I mean, but again, I don't get into the arguments. I just click like and then hope that they never DM me again. The block feature is also, um, and, and actually it doesn't happen too much on Instagram. Twitter is way, way worse for it. In other news, Noel is climbing Kilimanjaro. I have mixed feelings about it. So when I met Noel first, he was supposed to climb, he was booked to climb Killy, as he calls it, because he's in with the kids. Um, he was booked to climb Killy, but then he went on a nonsense lads weekend in Belfast and ran up a wall, like, you know, in these obstacle course things, and heard a pop in his foot and later that day anyway was driven back down from Belfast and I met him in Santry and I brought him to the Affidea Clinic and then he was in one of those silly boot things for I don't know maybe six months well no he was in the boot for about six to eight weeks but then he was also in like physio rehab for about six months so anyway he had to cancel Kilimanjaro so then he rescheduled Kilimanjaro for if you can hear that that's my really creaky chair um he rescheduled Kilimanjaro for September 2019 and we were meant to be and I was like I'll go with you and I'll wait in Zanzibar which is like a tropical island while you're climbing the mountain and then when you come down the mountain we can hang out in Zanzibar so we we're meant to be flying on the 13th September but then my nana died on the 11th of September so that was cancelled then the pandemic happened skip forward a couple of years and now he is scheduled to summit in August so he leaves on the 6th of August and I think it takes like maybe eight days to climb it but he's gone for 12 days in total with travel and acclimatisation. So it's his birthday. It was his birthday there a few weeks ago. And all of the presents that he wanted were like thermal underwear and long johns and hiking socks. And I got him hiking boots, which are so expensive and so unnecessary because he's going to climb it once and then they'll be put on adverts.ie or Dundee or something. And also like he's all, you know, now he's training and he's doing Glendalough and other mountains in Ireland because they tell you like if you can do uh, Caron Tool in this many hours you'll be fine for Kilimanjaro so he has to kind of train that way but um, he's all about like when I'm up the mountain and it's like you know that there's going to be like African Tanzanian men like Sherpas carrying your shit to the top of that mountain and all you have to do is like slowly trudge behind them but I try not to like rain on his parade too much because it's going to be a big achievement for him that selfie at the top of Kilimanjaro I'll be like a chump here at home then just waiting for him. And I'm not sure if there's going to be coverage at the top of the mountain either. Um, so I don't know how I'll hear from him. I also don't know with like the political situation that's happening in Eastern Europe how I feel about him like just being off comms out of communication for um, how many? 12 days? Look, it's not till August but you know me. Always ready to worry about something. We got an electric car, some of you may know from Instagram. I have the key here in front of me. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating. So we did loads of research on the electric car. Um, Well, we didn't. Noel did. Um, He was very excited about it all. And we test drove a few of them. We test drove the MG ZS, which is so affordable. Like, I couldn't really get over the price of it. And it was nice. It wasn't as spacious as we would like. 
But when we then were like, yeah, you know, so what's the story with this one if we were to get it? He was like, okay, so you could have this one in stock in October if you want it in black. But if you want the blue one, that'll be January. To which we were like, um, okay, I'd say we probably need it before then, seeing as it's costing us 60 million euro to fit our car at the moment. Then we test drove um, the Hyundai Kona, the Kia EV6 and what else? And the Hyundai Ionic 5. And I really like the outside of the Hyundai Kona because I think it looks really cool. But um, the inside of the Ionic 5 just did it for us. It looks very impressive and it's almost like a spaceship because that's what you're looking for in a car. And it has the range as well. If you're buying an electric car, like the first thing you need to think about, which you would never have had to think about before, is where do I drive? What are my journeys like? And because Noel and I drive to Cork a lot and he goes to Mayo or we go to Mayo sometimes, that the range is important for us. So, but then like if I was living in Cork City, let's say, and my mom lived in Mallow and everyone I knew was in Cork County basically and I only drove to Dublin twice a year to go to some concert in the board gosh or to go shopping then I wouldn't have to consider range at all and there would have been a lot more options in and a lot cheaper options available to us but range is really important for me I want to be able to get from Dublin to Cork on a single charge without having to stop in case of an emergency you know and uh, so we test drove the Ionic 5 and that has a range of 480 kilometres and it's like 200 and whatever to Dublin to Cork. Now, 480 is in summer when the battery is warm. In winter, it's more like 420. So anyway, long story short, the Ionic 5 was the winner. So that's what we went for. And we collected it on a Saturday. It was at 100%. We drove it around Mallow, you know, just because we just bought new cars. So we were like, oh, let's take it for a spin. And we drove around Mallow on Saturday, we drove around Mallow on Sunday, and then we set off for Dublin. We were at 92% when we set off for Dublin. And we drove, like, just at the normal, like, 120 kilometres an hour on the motorway. And when we got to Dublin then, it was at, I think, like, 25 or 27%, which is still low a quarter, like. So that was really amazing. And then Noel drove in and out to work a few times, because just city driving isn't that onerous on it at all. And we've charged it once it costs, if we charge it through our home, like at night, it costs about eight euro to charge overnight. And then a full charge, like if you're just driving around Dublin, a full charge will last you two weeks. Like, um, So eight euro for two weeks is pretty good. And then if you charge it at like the ESB chargers, do you know this one at Tesco, that costs about 14 euro, but it only takes like four hours. So that's what you're paying for there. Um, But yeah, it's fascinating. And we still have my diesel car which I'm going to get rid of I think when my tax insurance are up um, it's got an NCT in April middle of April and um, it'll pass that and then I think I'll sell it so if anyone's looking for a 181 duster hit me up because I will sell you my car because I don't think we need two cars we never really there's always one parked outside Noel gets public transport into work and you know save the planet and whatever so that's the electric car story and that's the census story and that's Kilimanjaro's story and what other news do I have oh the live podcast yes um, that happened and it was amazing and you'll be hearing the episodes as they come out um, and yeah I'll release some behind the scenes stuff as well um, thank you to those of you who came it was amazing to meet all of you and to those of you who couldn't make it hopefully we'll be able to do it again it was a big success so hopefully we'll be able to do some in not Dublin to come out and meet 
the rural listeners, even though Cork isn't rural and neither is Limerick or Galway or wherever you listen from, but um, the non-Dublin, the non-Dublin folk, which as a Corkonian, I know it's very important to not have everything Dublin focused. But, um, oh yeah, I also wanted to um, answer some questions that came through on my Instagram Q&A that I didn't get a chance to answer. Um, And one that kept coming up like super a lot was people freaking out about Revolut and is their Revolut money going to disappear because the owner of Revolut is Russian and I'm trying to convince I'm trying to reassure people that like Russia have nothing to do with Revolut it's a British company registered as a bank in Lithuania and yes the owner is Russian but the owner of lots of things are Russian and as long as they're not oligarchs and they're not like using money from Putin it's not a problem. So your money is safe with Revolut, as far as I am aware to date, like at the time of recording this. And uh, yeah, there is just a bank in Lithuania. So if it expands to like Lithuania, then come at me again and ask a question. Um, people asking, would you ever move home to the real capital in Cork? It's really unlikely unless work took us down there. Like Noel, if Noel got a job down there, then maybe. My friends and my life and like all my support networks and everything are in Dublin now. So... My mom is in Cork and I have one, two friends in Cork. But like, I never really settled in, in Cork. I was in UCC and I found being in university really hard and living in Cork City very, very tough. And I just came to Dublin then and I felt like, I just felt like, you know, when you're on an airplane and your ears are about to pop and then you blow down through your nose and everything, the pressure just settles. When I moved to Dublin, I was like, okay. This is where I'm meant to be. This is great. Um, there's an anonymity in Dublin that you don't get in Cork. Um, just because it's so small. So I don't think I would move to Cork. But then if work took us down there, I wouldn't be opposed to it. People are also asking me about a weighted blanket. I have a weighted blanket that I got from Kokuno, K-O-C-O-O-N-O. Um, and they're an Irish company from Mayo. The reason that I chose this weighted blanket was because I'm sort of a neat freak and obsessed with washing things and I wanted to be able to wash my weighted blanket. So this one is the Lux, the Kokuno Lux and it has these sort of, if you imagine the blanket is has these sort of like eight rows stitched into them and you can take out the, it's nine actually, the nine um, bags of weights and then just wash the blanket so that's been really helpful. But I am now addicted to the weighted blanket. And I brought it with me. We stayed in a hotel the other night and I brought it with me to there. And it's a single blanket. So like it doesn't go over to Noel's side of the bed. Now he does sometimes like to try it and take it off and use it himself. And that's fair enough. I'm able to share. Um, but I really, really love it. Um, it's it's so lovely. It helps me to sleep. But also like if I'm just reading or watching TV, sometimes I can feel like very restless I find it difficult to sit still um, and this really helps to just kind of um, they just settle me and ground me grounding feels like a real woo woo word you know like a real yoga term but I don't know how else to describe it but it does really help so if you're thinking of it um, the Kakuno is expensive but you can get weighted blankets you know from Dawn's that are more affordable the reason that I went with the expensive one was because I wanted to be able to wash it because I'm weird with things like that and I went to my first reflexology session and it was really interesting. I don't like when you go to like a therapy and be it physiotherapy, 
osteopathy, reflexology, acupuncture, whatever it is. I don't like when they just do their thing in silence. Like I want to know what they're doing, what they're feeling, what they're, you know, what they're reading from my body. Like I like if I'm in physio and they're like, oh, your shoulders are really knotty. I'm like, yes, great. I'm glad that I'm here and that you can identify that. So um, she was really good and like was able to like feel around on my feet and be like, "Mm, how are you, you know, how's your stress and how's this and how's that? Really personal things that, you know, are health issues for me at the moment that she was able to identify without me telling her. Um, And then it was just really relaxing. But then I like deep pressure on my feet anyway or deep pressure on my hands. So if you like that sort of relaxation, you should definitely give it a try. I had reflexology once before in like a health spa at a hotel, but that was not the same. That was basically a foot massage. And um, I was really interested in it. So I did some like research and it's about the pressure points on your feet and how they correspond to um, trigger points in your body along these ancient Chinese meridian lines that we have basically along kind of like nerves. And so like very gently by um, the clinician was actually telling me that she had a woman who was like nine months pregnant and her baby was facing the wrong way. And so by doing a reflexology treatment on her, I think it was her baby toe or some one of her toes anyway, she was able to like turn the baby around so that the baby was in the right position. And like even herself, she was like, look, I don't know if, you know, maybe the baby would have turned around on its own. I don't know, but, you know, it worked anyway. And the baby was in the right position and the baby came and whatever. So I found that really fascinating. And I'm not sceptical about things like that at all because I feel like you know, it's a nice relaxing hour and anything you can do to reduce stress these days is is a good thing and totally worth the money. So that was my experience of that. Um, and people were asking me on it, about it on Instagram, which is why I brought it up there. Um, and then loads of people were asking me questions about, um, about autism, which people ask about all the time. And the identity first language thing keeps coming up a lot where people are like, you are not autistic, you have autism. It doesn't define you. And it's just, it's usually the parents of autistic people who, you know, don't want their child to be defined by something. Whereas actual autistic people want to be identified as autistic because it is their identity. I can't remove it. I can't experience the world without it. And you saying that it's that I'm not defined by it is based on an underlying assumption that you think it's a bad thing and I shouldn't be defined by it. So it's you that needs to do the work. Um, But yeah, it's and I understand it's difficult for parents because they want their child to be all the things that they dreamed their child would be while they were pregnant. But but updating that information and being like, okay, and autism is not a bad thing. You know, it's going to take a little bit of a while. Um... But yeah, someone asked me, do I have a numbers thing with my autism? And uh, I, at the start, said, no, not really. Like, I'm not great at maths. And um, I find numbers very overwhelming. Like, if I have to do a VAT return or whatever, um, my brain is really talented with words and word patterns, but sums and maths I'm not really good with. And then I went on to say, but I do count everything, though. Like, if I'm walking, I count the steps. I count stairs if I'm climbing upstairs. I count cards, I count birds, anything I see. And I also like to eat even numbers. So, like, if I'm eating chips or pasta or Skittles, I'll count the pieces that I eat because I like to eat an even number. Um, which I never knew was strange because no one ever knew that I did it and never talked about it until I said it in my autism assessment and apparently it's very typical for autistic brains to like count things. Um, 
and one of my favourite things to do and you should uh, start listening to it now listen out for it on podcasts and listen out for it on radio one of my favourite things to do is count the number of times that people on radio who are being interviewed say absolutely just try it it's the most fun thing to do generally speaking anyone who's being interviewed who's asked a question the first response they will have is absolutely so try it listen to the radio for the next couple of days and then message me on Instagram and let me know who is the biggest culprit and what is the highest number of absolutes you have counted. That's all for me. Chat to you next month. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. 